back in October uh, was when Pastor Steve asked me if I would uh, take the service this evening. And back then he asked me if I would speak on something to do with uh, music or singing or worship, anticipating that uh, we'd be going through uh, this book, Sing, in our morning Sunday school. And uh, Kathy and I are helping facilitate this class. So if you have nowhere to go Sunday mornings, we're going through that. And so I was thinking about bringing something about singing and worship, something I love. And I thought it was uh, fitting and, or perhaps somewhat ironic today, that uh, I can barely sing, <laughs> uh, losing my voice as it is. Uh, but I'm going to be looking at uh, considering emotion in worship. Emotion and worship, and taking for our text James chapter 5 and verse 13. Just a really short simple instruction that hopefully can lodge its ways in our mind. Uh, you can turn there if you wish, but I trust you actually might be able to memorize this uh, rather quickly. James, Jesus' brother, says to us in God's holy word, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. That's it. Is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Let's ask God's help. Heavenly Father, bless us as we look to your word together. Ask that you would sustain my voice and that you would encourage us by your word and call us to obedience through the work of your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, when we're thinking about our emotions, the emotional part of ourselves as human beings, we can consider it in contrast uh, to what many have called historically sort of the three parts of our soul, namely our mind or intellect, our will, that is the, the volitional part of ourselves, and our emotions, or what has historically often been called our affections. And we can consider how each of these are involved in worship, it doesn't take much to consider how our minds are involved in worship as we pay attention to God's word, as we give consideration and learn with teaching, or the involvement of our wills in worship, that we are exhorted and called to obedience, to choose, to resolve, to follow God. But I think we sometimes perhaps fall flat and wonder what is the role of our emotions in worship, this emotional part of ourselves. You see, we're often suspicious of emotions, perhaps even our own emotions, the emotions of others. We know that we can be easily manipulated and pulled into sentimentalism and emotionalism. Uh, marketing gurus know this well enough. Uh, you know, who hasn't at some point or other cried at a, a donut commercial? Um, whatever the case may be. Uh, we're emotional beings. and. It's a fundamental part of what it means to be human, is to have this feeling part of ourselves. And to a real extent, our emotions, they, mo they show perhaps most clearly the things which we most value. Uh, the things which we most care about are the things which we most feel deeply. They expose who we really are. Emotions feel uh, responsible for the pain we feel, or really you could say the emotions really are the pain we feel. They are our feelings. This is what we're talking about, the things we feel as feeling beings. Our emotional part of ourselves is made in the image of God, like the intellectual and volitional parts of ourselves. And just like those, our emotions are corrupted in the fall, liable to all sorts of maladies, vices, and issues, just like our physical bodies. 
And we do live in a day with much talk about declining mental health, anxiety, and depression. There's an increasing emphasis on it. And so if we're considering how the Bible directs us in our various psychological states, it then does us well to give regard to James's words in James 5, verse 13. He begins saying, is any one of you in trouble? Now, this is a rhetorical question from James because he knows that there is a great many in this congregation who are indeed in trouble. The book of James is written largely to a group of Jews who had to flee persecution in Jerusalem. They were fleeing persecution with basically the clothes on their backs, going to other areas, and they're basically coming in as immigrants into a new town very poor and suffering in their poverty. And in this desperate situation to find work, they end up working for wealthy landowners who we see in the book are oppressing them, exploiting them, withholding their wages. And so they're coming under significant vocational and financial trouble. Not to mention there's also significant relational trouble. There's a lot of divisions in this church. There's a lot of uh, bickering, backbiting, malice, and fighting. And if you've been through some uh, church fights or church brawls, you know how painful and troublesome that can be because the church is your family. And uh, when the family is fighting, it is painful. Is anyone in trouble? There is trouble. And this situation mirrors that of believers for all time. Jesus promised us, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. So trouble will come. The Catechism reminds us that we live in a world of sin and misery, sin and misery. And the troubles we endure are manifold, right? We have physical troubles, we have mental and emotional troubles, spiritual troubles, relational troubles, financial troubles, or vocational troubles. And what do they all have in common but that they are troublesome, okay? These troubles are troublesome that need not repeating. But what's this saying that these are troubles to us? Well, we know that in the same situation, perhaps one person is troubled by it and another is not. Uh, maybe someone's more unflappable. But what makes it a trouble for someone is that it troubles your mind. That is, it provokes an emotional reaction that is troublesome. It steals your peace. It leads to a disquietude in your mind. It exacts a mental and emotional toll. Now, these various external troubles, they provoke in us a number of these negative, troublesome mental states. And some psychologists have um, analyzed and have decided that you could classify all negative emotions into only four groups. The negative emotions of shame, of sadness, of fear, and of anger. These are the things that our troubles provoke within us feelings of shame, um, this feeling that one might feel uh, perhaps when a job is unexpectedly lost. And there's a, a shame um, of how can I provide for my family? What type of person am I? Troubles of sadness, often a loss, perhaps loss due to death or um, a breakup, perhaps the loss of a dream that didn't come to fruition the way you had hoped. 
we have fears, or you might call these anxieties. Uh, perhaps it's something like the prospect of a car that you know is about to fall apart, but you don't have the money to pay for repairs. Or a spouse that's facing a cancer diagnosis. Troubles. Or anger. Uh, perhaps someone you trusted dragging your name through the mud. Perhaps anger when you've been uh, mistreated consistently by a manager you work for. Trouble is a universal human experience. And it's only really recently that the reality of suffering has taken people by surprise. Uh, it, it used to be common knowledge that the world is one of suffering. Um, actually, interesting side note, uh, it's been said that historically, if you look back, you find no one making the argument against the existence of God due to the problem of evil, that how could a loving God allow evil in the world? No one asked that until recently when there was so much comfort that all of a sudden suffering seemed foreign to us. We do live in a world of sin and of misery. But the question for us is, in our troubles, how are we to deal with our troubled minds, our shame, our sadness, our fear, our anger? Well, the popular wisdom today would be to perhaps talk to a therapist. Uh, there's, I hear ads for it all the time on the podcasts I listen to, to go to uh, BetterHelp or some other counseling service. And this can be really, really helpful for many people. Um, I do think it's great that therapy's been less stigmatized than it used to be, and uh, probably many of you would actually benefit from it. Uh, but it's often a band-aid for a deeper root. Uh, these troubles really go to the root of human sin in this world. And James suggests for us what our immediate reaction ought to be. What is the Christian response to troubled mind and troubled emotions? Well, you know what it is. He says, let him pray. He should pray. That ought to be the automatic response of the Christian in troubles is to pray to God. Whether physical troubles, mental, emotional troubles, relational, vocational, financial, spiritual troubles. Why? Because our immediate need in our troubles is not to know perhaps what to do, where to go, or how to fix the problem. But our immediate need is to know to whom we need to go. To whom we need to go. We need to go to God. Because it's only in relationship with God, a communicative relationship, that we find true rest for our troubles. Because you see, our shame and our lack of self-worth is only fully defeated in the reality of God's limitless love for his people and the price he paid for them, and thus the value he placed on them in Jesus Christ. In sadness and in despondency, we find the only perfectly merciful and sympathetic ear in the Lord Jesus, who sympathizes with our weakness as our merciful and faithful high priest, who is continually interceding for us and upholding us before the throne of God, showing us deeper care than any on earth ever could. In our fears, cares, and anxieties about the future, we can cast them upon his strong shoulders, the shoulders of the one who holds the future, knowing that he cares for his people and ultimately will turn everything to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. 
We can even throw our anger, bitterness, and hatred at the feet of the righteous judge who will call every evil deed into account with a trust of his perfect reckoning and thus a following after his ways of forgiveness. You see, prayer, it connects us to these spiritual realities. Prayer forces us to consider all of our troubles in light of the reality of God and of the work of Christ. Prayer centers us. It lifts us up beyond our immediate circumstances to see things from an eternal plane. This is where we process our troubles with God. And so what, so what does this sort of prayer look like? What does it look like to be someone praying in their troubles? Well, um, I'll tell you simply that prayer in your troubles generally ought to include two things, two things, lament and request. In troubles, your calling is to lament and to request. To tell God things in lament and then to ask God things in request. And we often only focus on the asking, and we really do often need to grow in the lamenting. And what lamenting is in prayer is pouring out your pain and your trouble to God, offering them to him. Um, Even though he knows already what's going on, it's helpful for you and your relationship with him to speak it. Uh, Perhaps uh, if you, uh, with your spouse, sometimes you tell each other things you already know, because you need the help of speaking clearly so that you can think clearly. The majority of people are verbal processors, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to process to God himself. Here are some examples of how the songwriters in the Psalms, um, the sorts of phrases they use when they are describing their troubles to God. In Psalm 3, 1 to 2, the writer says, Lord, How many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. He's telling God this. He's saying, God, I have a lot of people who are against me. There's a lot of people speaking evil of me and spiritually mocking me. God, I'm suffering spiritual mockery right now. They say God won't deliver him. Or Psalm 6-6, where this is what he says to God. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. It's okay to go to God and say, God, I'm crying a lot. I'm really, really sad and this is really, really hard. Or in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen, he writes, speaking to God, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Jesus takes up a lament on his lips when he's on the cross from this very psalm, Psalm 22, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's pouring out his lament to his father. This is an example for us to follow. We can lament, tell our painful circumstances, tell God our troubles, tell him what's going on, even though he already knows. We lament, but we also make requests of God. We ask God's specific help in our circumstances. And when you are lamenting to God, it helps you actually better understand what you're feeling and why. 
but requesting specifically to God helps you better understand what do you actually want and what should you actually want in this season. And again, if we're going to follow the examples of the psalmists in our requesting, in our troubles, we learn very quickly that our requests should look like not only requests regarding our troubles, but requests for God to work in us in them. That is a Christian prayer, not just that God would take away our troubles, but that he would meet us in them. Um, I love Psalm 143. It makes a lot of different requests in it. And if you were to pluck out a few of these request phrases, you would hear things like this. He requests that God would hear my prayer, that God would come to my relief. He requests God don't bring me into judgment. He says, answer me quickly. Don't hide your face from me. Let me hear of your unfailing love. That's a good request in troubles. God, I need to hear that you love me. Show me the way I should go. A good prayer for direction. Rescue me. Sometimes we need to be rescued. Teach me. We need to be taught. Lead me, he says. He says, preserve my life. It's good and right to ask God to preserve your life, to preserve your health. He says, bring me out of troubles. And he says, silence my enemies. Good requesting prayer in our troubles is a holistic form of prayer that deals with not just the physical and tangible, but the spiritual and the immaterial, well-rounded, honest prayers. And so, is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Pray. Now, this command is not only applicable to your personal prayer at home, but it's also applicable to corporate prayer. And that's why in the Reformed tradition, we've uh, tried to maintain a time of prayer specifically given to bringing our requests for a whole host of things to God. And regularity in corporate prayer like this, it does help uh, teach us how to pray on our own, but it also reminds us that there are others going through troubles right now that we are not. When the minister is praying for those who are lonely or grieving, if that's not you, you are connected to that brother or sister that you know is lonely and grieving. And we partner together sharing each other's burdens when we pray together. And we grow in sympathy through that. And it's also worth pointing out that many of our songs are also prayers. Uh, many psalms are addressed to God and many of our songs uh, contain elements of lament and elements of request in them. And it's beautiful to be able to corporately go to God, de declaring the injustice in our world and unrighteousness and sin in our own hearts, our own troubles, and speaking to ourselves and to God to put our hope in him. And in this way, James is reminding us through this simple instruction that worship is not to be absent of our emotions, but worship finds its energy precisely because of our emotions. Because you see, we all are to bring our troubles with us into worship. We don't leave them at the door pretending we have it all together, coming in as blank slates. But we come to worship in spirit and in truth. And in truth means that we are bringing the truths about ourselves, even the painful and hurting parts of ourselves, and we, as it were, carry them with us and offer them to God in a sacrifice of worship. 
We bring our burdens and troubles and cast them on the strong shoulders of Jesus. We bring our troubles to God, our troubled minds and emotions to God in worship. We bring God our pains, but we also are called to bring God our joys in worship. The verse continues, James says, is anyone happy or is anyone joyful in a time of rejoicing? Uh, the word kind of actually means good passion. Is anyone feeling these sorts of good passions? For James knows that life is not only filled with sorrows, but also with joys, with delights, gladness, contentment, pleasures of all sorts. And God has given many pleasures to mankind. We sang in the second verse of how great thou art about the mountains, the birds, the streams, the beauty and goodness of nature that God gives to delight us. Perhaps um, if you were driving, you just saw the snow sparkling on the trees. Beautiful delights. God gives us the delight of our senses uh, to enjoy good food, good smells, uh, warm blankets fresh from the dryer. Uh, our daughter, Kaya, uh, found some and was rolling up in blankets. I'm like, this is the first time she's experiencing the joy of warm towels from the dryer. The delights of senses, a human delights, the delights of being with people you love, of laughing, of good conversation, of helping each other, uh, the particular joys we experience in parenting, the particular joys of grandparenting, of having friends, the particular joys of lovers, the delights of beauty, of music, of story, art, film, architecture, fashion, all these wonderful things that God has given us that bring us joy and delight in this world. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, that God richly gives us everything for our enjoyment. And interestingly, I was going through the book of Ecclesiastes recently, and Ecclesiastes 5.19, it says that the ability to enjoy wealth and possessions is the gift of God. Many in this world work to acquire and acquire to get stuff, but they're not truly able to enjoy it. It's actually a gift of God to be able to freely enjoy the good things of this world without them taking hold of your heart and enslaving you. It's actually the freedom of a Christian to be able to enjoy without enslavement. It's the good gift of God. Now, these goodnesses, these delights, even of the natural, are meant to carry us into worship. And as God's redeemed people, how much more do we bring with us not only the joys and delights of creation, but of redemption as we consider the work of Christ and of sanctification as we consider the work of the Spirit and the hope of eternal life. So much joy and happiness to bring with us into worship. And the most fitting response for this basket of joys, this cornucopia of delights that we experience in this world the appropriate response is to sing songs of praise. James says to sing songs of praise. Really just one word, uh, the verb to solo, to sing psalms, to sing songs befitting the praises and thanksgiving of God. Now what sorts of songs, what sorts of things are befitting this sort of Christian praise? Well, it's especially thankfulness. Colossians 3.16, when it's talking about singing, says to sing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Hebrews 13.15 tells us that part of the sacrifice of praise 
is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to God's name. Thankfulness is the appropriate response for the joys we feel in this world. Singing thanks is our duty for the created goods and also for the redemption goods. And thankfulness is always most fitting to that who is the source of our happiness, right? So if you're sitting down and uh, perhaps your spouse or a friend or relative has prepared you a good meal and you enjoy it, you say thanks to them because they prepared for you a feast of good things. And ultimately, God is the preparer of all the good meals we enjoy in this world, all the goods we enjoy, and he himself is our choice portion. And so thankfulness to God is most fitting. And it's particularly suited to the form of, the artistic form of song, of singing. Singing is wonderfully expressive of human joy and happiness. Uh, we don't have as good of sports singing here as there is in Europe, in soccer stadiums, when uh, there's learned songs by all the fans. And you, you might notice that those whose team is defeated, they don't sing songs in the defeat. It is the victorious team that together unifyingly chants and sings. Because expressing unified joy or synchronized joys is a powerful form of expression. Singing it itself is a heartier sound than normal speaking. It's louder than normal speaking, but much more beautiful than yelling. And it's a wonderful expression of this good passion James is telling us to express. Singing is a wonderful form God's given to his people. And this sort of thankful sung praise is really important for us to learn in the good times of life. Because here's what thankfulness and sung praise does for us. It decenters our experience of pleasure from ourselves and keeps us grounded by recognizing that we are not the source of our own joys and delights, but God is. Because you see, in our lives, it's way too easy to give ourselves way too much credit. Well, I enjoy my children because it was my good parenting. I enjoy my money because I was really smart and I did a really good uh, career plan and path. And, you know, I was strong and made good decisions. And that's why I get to sit back and go on wonderful vacations and the like. No. In Corinthians, we're told, why do you boast as if these things came from you? Your intellect naturally is a gift of God. The home and family and upbringing you were placed in was a gift from God. Those chance networks and connections and the fact to even have good health is all a gift of God. And so why would you boast as if it came from you? Thankful praise reminds us that God is the source of all our good successes. God is the one who gives us lavish gifts we are not the ingenious ones. We ought not give ourselves the credit and center the goodness on ourselves, but to center it on God. Sung praise helps us not forget God in the good times, right? Think back to the history of Old Testament Israel. 
what do we hear again and again but that they forgot? And especially when things were going well, when they were wealthy and successful, they forgot. They were sitting back and enjoying the wine of their vineyards, enjoying the milk and honey of and the land in their sitting, cities, forgetting that when God brought them into the land, he said, I gave you cities you didn't build. I gave you vineyards you didn't tend. I gave you wells you didn't dig. All these things were the gift of God. And when they forgot that and started crediting themselves too much, they declined, fell into unfaithfulness, and ultimately judgment. Because few things are more distasteful than thanklessness. Ingratitude grates against us in a strong way. And the condemnation of the world is written in Romans 1.12 in that they did not acknowledge God or give him thanks. Thanklessness is what leads people to judgment. They didn't acknowledge God or give him thanks. So James says, is, is anyone happy? Is anyone experiencing good? Is anyone carrying with them joys and delights? Let him sing praise. And James, he's not giving a helpful suggestion, right? Many of us, I fear, uh, read the part about prayer and think, yes, I have to pray as a Christian, but the singing part's the optional part. James says one as well as the other. Is anyone happy? Let him sing. And singing has been ubiquitous in the church from the earliest times. Singing God's praises is a distinctive mark of Christian community. It's a fitting expression of the good experienced and the good enjoyed in our lives. And so, when we come to worship, whether privately, day by day, or on the Lord's day, we come carrying with us not only our troubles and sorrows, but also our joys and our triumphs. And we bring them also into worship and present them to Christ as a fragrant sacrifice befitting his goodness. And so perhaps it would be a helpful preparation for us as we come to worship week by week to on the way be recounting the goodnesses of God to us, the natural ones as well as the spiritual ones. Um, often, you know, one of the best parts if you go on a vacation or have a holiday and you're maybe driving home and you say, okay, everyone go around and say your highlight of the week. We love hearing the highlights, these good things. And to even recount week by week, what are the highlights? What has God done? What have I enjoyed? Where have I experienced good? And allow that to warm our hearts to come and allow it to gush forth with praise. And really, most of us come week by week uh, with an admixture. We all carry sorrows. We all carry some levels of good or joys, some fears, some shame, anxiety, uh, some laughter, some relationships, some delights. And we bring them all with us into worship. And so, so again, we don't check our emotions at the door when we come to worship God, but we bring the best and the worst with us to the throne of grace. And it really, isn't it uh, neat how God designed this rhythm of the week? It's such a fitting time period. We're not carrying these sorrows too long before we're together once again. We're not spending too long forgetting our joys and that week by week repetition of bringing our sorrows in prayer and our joys in song to God 
is God's natural therapy he's given us, a natural way uh, spiritually to maintain our health and relationship with him. God is so good to us. And therefore, if we are bringing all this with us into worship week by week, we ought to expect emotional engagement in public worship. We should hear it in raised voices and loud, passionate singing. We should hear it in hearty amens. I love how Steve says, and everyone said, a hearty amen. We should see it in tears frequently and consider tears to be utterly appropriate in our worship. We should see it in facial expressions and in bodily postures because we don't want to hide our hearts from God. And we remember in all this that the Lord Jesus gives us and is the most perfect example to us of one who perfectly dealt with his emotions in worship. In Hebrews 5 verse 7, we're told that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who was able to deliver him from death. Jesus brought his troubles and sorrows to God the Father in prayer. Jesus also sings joy in God's praises. In Hebrews 2.12, Jesus says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. So when you are singing joyful praises to God, Jesus himself is also singing joyful praises to God. Hebrews 13.15 directs us then through Jesus to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise through Jesus, through Jesus. Because it's only through Jesus that our joyful praises are accepted. God delights in our praises because they've been filtered and purified and made holy through the finished work of Christ. Furthermore, we can bring our sorrows and troubles to the throne of grace, knowing we have our Father's ear, knowing he delights to answer the prayers of his children because Jesus carries them there himself. He's our divine intercessor who Hebrews 7.25 says ever lives to intercede for those who go to God through him. And so come to God through Jesus. Bring your troubles. Bring your joys because he is the one to whom we ought to go because he is the one with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't just care about some part of us, but you care about every part of us, our minds, our wills, our emotions. Thank you for the brilliance of your created design and the ability we have to love and to value and to feel. Lord, we know that we do live in a world of sin and misery, and we pray that you will teach us the happy art of bringing our troubles to you in prayer that you will fill our hearts with joy that expresses itself in joyful singing, that our times of public worship would be filled with the affections and emotions of your people bringing their whole selves to you and offering it to you. Day by day, Lord, would you teach us the art of quickly, automatically turning to you in prayer when we face difficulties. Help us to burst forth into joyful praise to the Lord our Maker. Lord, you deserve it all. Take our best, take our worst. We thank you for this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We respond by...